Well, we sure have found that to be true, haven't we? That he'll always be enough, more than enough, to take care of any need that we may have in our life. Wonderful. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? We hold up the Word of God all over the building. I want to read a verse tonight, and then I'll just ask you to listen to me. But uh, I want you to take your Bible and open it to the book of Psalms, chapter 33 tonight, page number 613, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Psalms, chapter 33, just one verse. I use this verse more or less just as a as a springboard to dive into a subject tonight, but I want to ask you, if you will, to stay with me, listen, and if you don't agree with everything I say, you don't have to, but uh, pray for me. You can be wrong if you want to, and so I'm kidding. <laughs> if you don't agree with everything that I say, if you'll come up to me after church and apologize, I forgive you, all right? And I make that deal with you right up front. I'm kidding, of course, but uh, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you have a good part of your week, first part of your week, and hopefully uh, be back again on Wednesday night. Look at Psalms 33 now, verse number 12. And I told you this morning I was going to kind of start something and finish it tonight. And uh, so in verse number 12, here's what the Bible said. Blessed. Now, any time in our Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament, and we run into the word blessed, it is always, you look it up, it's always in the plural tense. So really when we read this in verse 12, we could actually read it without doing the Scripture, no harm whatsoever, blessed, blessed, or happy, happy, or oh, the blessednesses. Did I say that right? Blessednesses. All right? And it's always in the plural sense. So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Boy, that's a big amen right there. Notice the word Lord, capital letters, whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Now, one of the questions that a lot of people ask uh, regarding the Bible is, the, and the question is, is America ever mentioned in the Bible? Is there a book in the Bible that we can go to and find some kind of a prophecy or something of that nature that we run into just a little bit about the United States of America. And while I can say with confidence that America is not prophesied in the Bible, America is pictured in the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you want to see a picture of America in the Bible, all you've got to do is look at the nation of Israel. Now, let me stop and say that America is not Israel, and Israel is not America. I'm not of the worldwide church of God, the Herbert W. Armstrong crowd that tries to make America one of the ten lost tribes of the nation of Israel because we are not. I'm Gentile to the bone. I'm Caucasian to the bone. I am Gentile. But if you want to get a good picture of America, all you got to do is look at the nation of Israel throughout the Word of God, and you kind of get a picture of where America is going by looking at the nation of Israel when they went away from God and what has happened to get them or going to happen to get them back to God. So I just want to talk tonight on this thought. This is not the America that I grew up in. This is not the America that I grew up up in. Would you pray with me? Father, help us tonight for just a little bit. And Lord, I don't want to rant and rave tonight and get off on tangents and, and wind up just uh, blowing this sermon tonight. I don't want to do that. So I want to just right up front surrender myself to the Spirit of God and just ask you to help me tonight and touch my mind and my 
thinking tonight and touched my heart. And God helped me tonight to stay true, not to uh, any political idea, because, Lord, I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. And this is not a political rally. This is a church service. And I get that, Lord. And I don't want to turn it into something that it's not. But I want to stay true to the Bible because I'm a preacher. So help me tonight, I pray, and then speak to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look up on the screen now for just a moment, and I've asked our men to put a picture of someone up on the screen for just a second. Now, I don't expect anybody in this room to know who that is. It's not Charles Spurgeon. It's not, it's not Benjamin Franklin. Let me tell you, so you're not sitting there wondering, let me tell you who that is. That is a man by the name of James Garfield. Now, I've got to tell you, because really my whole sermon is based upon a little story that goes about his life. James Garfield was the 20th president of the United States of America. The 20th, our 20th president. Now, there are a couple of things about his reign. And by the way, the, if you'll read some of the history of these presidents, it's really fascinating. But there's a couple of things about his time, his tenure as president uh, I, that I want to I make you aware of. First of all, did you know this? James Garfield, our 20th president, is the only president that we've ever had in the United States of America that was a preacher. All right? So I really could say this. He was a president, uh, you know, by day, but thank God he was a preacher for life. Let me tell you a little bit about him, how he got saved. He got saved when he was 19 years old. What he did was, when he got 16, he went off to work on a canal boat up in Ohio, those great lakes up there, went off to work on a canal boat, kind of went off into sin, but when he got fired, he lost his job on the canal boat, and he came home, and when he walked up on the porch, when he came home, just a young man, his mama was in there with her Bible open, and he saw her through an open window, and she was praying, and here was her prayer, Save the son of thine handmaid. Save the son of thine handmaid. And he said, according to his own testimony, he never got away from the prayer of his mama. A couple of years later, at the age of 19 years old, James Garfield gave his heart to Jesus and later on, a few years later, actually became a preacher of the gospel. In his own diary on one occasion, he was a part of the second great awakening in America. He was one of those preachers who led the second great awakening uh, or maybe in our terminology we would say the second great time period of revival in America, James Garfield, our president back then, was actually one of those preachers that, that, let, that God used in that second great revival in America. In his own diary, on one occasion, he said this about a meeting that he had just finished. He said of the meeting, he said, I delivered 19 discourses. Now let me back up and say that. That'd be like me saying, man, I preached 19 messages. So he said, I delivered 19 messages or discourses, we had 34 editions, which would mean our way of saying we had 34 people saved, and 31 of those came into the church by baptism, by immersion. Now, that's something, you know, our, our world, we hear a lot today about God shouldn't be involved in government. I don't know what they're going to do about a preacher who was a president. Do you? Uh, yes, sir. I don't think you can separate God from government. Can I tell you this? It was God's idea to start government uh, at the very start. That was his idea to begin with. So how how are we going to divorce and separate God from government? We hear a lot in our day, the church needs to be separate from the state. But ladies and gentlemen, you cannot separate God from government. So number one, he was a preacher, the only preacher. I don't think Bill Clinton wasn't a preacher, was he? Okay. 
So uh, he's the only president that we've ever had out of the, what, 40, what are we at, 44 now, 45 presidents that we've ever had that was a preacher. But the second thing about his tenure as president that's so unusual, and this is where I'm going with this, was this. His tenure as president was the second shortest tenure out of all of our presidents thus far. That's right. The shortest tenure as president was a president by the name of William Henry Harrison. And William Henry Harrison uh, was president for only 31 days, and he died. Let me tell you what happened to him. He actually, on the day of his inauguration, you know, they always have this big hoopla in Washington, and it was so cold when he stood up to give his inaugural address that he caught pneumonia. And 31 days, President Harrison died. He was no longer the president, and there was a great upheaval in our country over what to do next. However, this guy, James Garfield, his tenure as president was the second shortest. He only was president for 199 days, about six months that he was president. Let me tell you what happened to him. There was a man, a lawyer by the name of Charles Gateau. Now, that tells you that he was a, he was a, a Frenchman. And he was a lawyer who applied to be the ambassador from the United States to the Mer of America to the country of France. Well, his, his, uh, his, uh, he was rejected. They turned down his application. And when that happened, Charles Guiteau thought that God had ordered him to kill James Garfield. So for many days, Charles Guiteau stalked Garfield looking for the right time to kill him. Well, on July the 2nd, of 1881, 138 years ago, this coming Tuesday, our president, James Garfield, had rode a train back to Washington. As he stepped off the train, and you've got to understand, uh, security wasn't as tight in those days as it is in our day. So when he stepped off the train, Charles Gateau was standing in the crowd, and he had his gun loaded. And he stepped out of the crowd, and he took two shots, bang, bang, at James Garfield. Now, the first shot only grazed his arm, did no damage, just grazed his arm. But the second shot entered his body somewhere. They just weren't quite sure where the bullet was. Well, the, over the next 80 days, 16 different doctors worked on him trying to keep him alive. The first doctor was a man by the name of Willard Bliss. And what he did when he found the bullet hole in the body of the president he took an unsterilized finger and stuck it into the wound and started wiggling it around. Can you just imagine that? Wiggling it around trying to find the bullet. Well, when he couldn't find the bullet, the, uh, the attorney general, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, surgeon general uh, came in and he tried to find the bullet by sticking another unsterilized finger into the wound. The only problem was Nobody could locate the bullet. Now, if you've ever, how many of y'all have ever heard of a man by the name of Alexander Graham Bell, the telephone guy? Well, he brought in a metal detector and put it over the body of the president trying to locate the bullet. And so finally, after running that thing over the body of the president, he finally said, I've located the bullet and it's near his liver. So they took an unsterilized probe and they stuck it and followed the, uh, what they thought was the, the trail of that bullet and in so doing, they nicked President Garfield's liver, which began to leak all kind of toxins into his body. What Alec Alexander Graham Bell had found was a spring in the mattress. 
and not the bullet in the president's body. Let me tell you what happened. They took a three-inch in, uh, wound and they actually turned it into a 20-inch because they eventually did surgery on him, cut him wide open trying to find the bullet. And they never did find the bullet until after he had died and they did an autopsy on him. And he died not from the assassin's bullet, but he died from the corruption and the infection that was injected into his body by the doctors who were trying to find the bullet. That's right. In fact, when they finally located the bullet, it was only four inches from his, his, his spine in a sack of fluid. And they said to this day, they said back in those days, said to this day, he would have been fine if they would have only left him alone. He did not die from the assassin's bullet. He died from corruption within. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as you think about our country tonight, can I tell you that our country is not dying from an assassin's bullet. Our country is dying from corruption that is within. This is no longer the America that I grew up in. I'm 56 years old tonight. For some of you, you probably say, man, that's not too old. And for others of you, say, man, I didn't even know people lived to be 56 years old. But the truth of the matter is, just thinking back to the last 30 years or even 40 years or even just thinking back 20 years ago, I think we all would reach the conclusion this is no longer the America that it used to be. Our country is dying from internal corruption. We're not dying because of terrorism. We're not dying because people are trying to blow us up. We're not dying. We're not to perishing because people are launching bombs onto the shores of America. I'll tell you what's killing us. It's the corruption from within the inside of our very nation. We are corrupting and disintegrating right before our very eyes. You don't have to say it, I will. Amen, preacher, and amen. It is the corruption from within that is killing our nation. I don't know if you've ever read, and you probably don't ever take the time to do this, but there is a book called The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's written by a man by the name of Gibbons, and the crazy book's about that thick. And, and you don't ever want to read it because it's not, not fascinating, but there are seven statements that he made in that book about the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. Here's what he said as the, as, the, as the Roman Empire began to rise. Number one, the thing he attributed to was that the Roman Empire had strong families. There was a strong family unit within the Roman Empire. The father was respected as the head of the family and had the legal authority from the government to discipline rebellious members in the family as he saw fit. So it was strong families that made the Roman Empire what it was. But then second of all, he said a second thing that made it strong was it had home education. The parents assumed the responsibility of educating their own children. Now, I'm not advocating for homeschooling. Some of you homeschool. Some of you Christian school. Some of you public school. I'm not advocating for homeschool, but I'm just saying what he said, according to his book, as he studied the Roman Empire out, there were strong families and there was home education. The parents were respected by the children uh, as being the parents, and it deepened the communicating ability between between the parents 
and the children. Can I stop and say, boy, have we lost the ability to communicate from moms and dads down to the children. So it was strong families. Number two, it was home education, which number three led to something called prosperity. You see, strong families produced a strong nation. Rome had armies that could not be defeated. It was strong militarily. I mean, man, they would roll into a place, conquer that place because they had strong families. They educated their own children. And there was a time of great prosperity as the Roman Empire began to spread out and to cover the then known world, which led to number four. There were great national achievements. There were great building programs that took place throughout the empire. A vast system, a network of roads united the Roman Empire. Palaces were built. Public buildings and coliseums were constructed because it was a great time of strong families and prosperity and home education. And then it leaked over and spilled over like when Mr. Cup gets full, Mr. Saucer's going to get some of it. And but it began to spill over and it affected the entire nation until the nation became just one big, vast uh, building program. It was a great day in national achievements and prosperity. But then number five, he said this. Here's where it took its turn. There was an infiltration of the lie. In other words, what happened, and here's what he said. He said these Roman families became so prosperous that they turned the education of their children over to godless Greeks. And they allowed the godless Greeks to step in and to begin with their philosophy and with all of their humanistic ideas and godless base, they soon passed it on to the children of the Roman families. Women began to demand more rights in order to accommodate them. New marriage contracts were drawn up. And it even led to what we're more familiar with in our day in the Roman Empire, something called open marriages. Are we talking about the Roman Empire or the United States of America? And then number six, he said, what happened was the government got too big. The government started trying to assert its influence and its authority into every area of national life, to the family, to the state. Citizens begin to complain about housing shortages and, and rents and congested traffic and polluted air and crime in the streets and the high cost of living. And unemployment became a big problem as the government stepped in and tried to solve the problems of unemployment. And the big government took over. And then number seven, there was nothing left but decline and persecution in the Roman Empire. Now, I don't know about you, but that just, to me, that almost sounds just exactly like America. I mean, years ago, we had strong families. And then the strong families produced the home education as there was great communication between the parents and their children. And then there was a time of great prosperity and then the, the, the time of national achievements. But then we turned the education of our children over to the godless society that we live in. And the government stepped in and said, okay, if you're going to teach creation, you're going to have to teach evolution. And if you're going to treat marriage between a man and a wife, you've got to teach them to learn both their, their, their dads now and both their moms. And, uh, man, all of that began to happen. And then the government has stepped in, the big government, and they've tried to interfere into every area of our lives until now we're in the process of declining 
and look out, persecution is on the way. Now, if that's not America, I don't know what is. Because this is no longer the America that I was brought up in. Could I just for just a moment, it's 20 after 6, but could I just for a moment just remind you of the America that I was brought up in? Can I take you back on a journey? Uh, I was born in 1962. I have very little memories of the 60s whatsoever. I don't remember much about the 60s, but beginning in the 70s, early to mid-70s, I kind of caught on to what was going on. And you've got to remember those days in the 60s were days of great upheaval, the hippie age. And, and then we had the Vietnam era and the rebellion and the burning of the flags and the turning against our nation and our president and, and all that went on back in those days. But I still remember with fondness how America was back in those days. Can I say that the America that I was brought up in was the America that served and worshipped the one and true and only living God. You know, in our day, we, 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 we don't mind people talking about God as long as they don't identify the God that they're talking about. Because even here in America, we have something called pluralism, which simply means there's not just one God. There are many gods. There's not just one way to heaven. There are many ways to heaven. And the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, that, that, that thought, that notion is anti-Bible. It is foreign to the Word of God because our Bible says that there is only one God and one mediator between God and man. The only way to get to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. 1 Timothy 2, 4, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Bible said, Jesus said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm here to tell you the America that I grew up in was the America that believed there was one God and only one way to get to him, and that was through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at this verse, Exodus chapter 20, talks about this. And God, if we can get Mr. Garfield to go away there. And God spake all these words saying, let me read this to you. God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And the Bible said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods, God said. There's only one God, and the Bible said we're to have no other gods in our life whatsoever. There's only one God. Can I have an amen? That's the America that I grew up in that realized and worshipped and served the only true and the living God. Here's a good verse. Look at this Isaiah 45 verse. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He hath created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. And then he said this, I am the Lord and there is none else. God said, I created this earth. I created it to be inhabited. I love the people that's on the earth, but I need you to understand something. I'm God and beside me there's none else. 
Look at this verse right here. And just a little bit later in this same chapter, Isaiah said, look unto me. God said through the prophet Isaiah, look unto me and be a saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I want to tell you, I still believe in the America who understands there's one God. Buddha's not a God. Confucius is not a God. Allah's not a God. There's only one God. And it's the God of that Bible right there. Yes, sir. We used to believe that. We got his name on money. His name is on your dollar bills. His name is on our coins. His name is plastered all over the capital of our United States. His name's on the Capitol building. You walk into the memorials there. His commandments are on the wall. There was a time when America realized there was only one God. But now we've adopted the philosophy that there are many gods, choose your own. Or if you want to talk about God, it's okay with us, but just don't, just don't identify the gods you're talking about. You know in America, when you say God anymore, you could be talking about Allah, you could be talking about Confucius, you could be talking about Buddha, you could be talking about a number of other gods, but I'll tell you the God that I serve is a God who's got a son by the name of Jesus. And friend, I want to tell you something, at the end of the day, the only God that there is is a God that we identify by His Son, the Lord Jesus. Christ. I grew up in the America that believed there was only one true God. Number two, I grew up in the America who rewarded hard work. I grew up in the America who, award, who rewarded not laziness. They didn't reward People that wouldn't get off the sorry backside and go get a job and go to work. I grew up in the America where, buddy, that you worked hard and you paid your bills and you made ends meet and you provided for your family. That's the America that I grew up in that rewarded hard work. Can I tell you something? Our God is a God of work. He sure is. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible said this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And the Bible said, On the seventh day God ended His, say it with me, ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His, say it again, work which He had made. And verse number 3 said this, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all the, say it again, His work which God had created and made. Our God is a God of work. He worked six days of creation. And during that six days, he made this and he made that and he formed this and he formed that. And then the Bible said, on the seventh day, he rested and sanctified that day as a day of rest. But six days, six other days during that week, God said, it's all right to work. I work, you're no better than me. I'm your God. You ought to follow my pattern. I work, you ought to work. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter 20. The Bible said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's that seventh day that God rested. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Leave it up there. Six days shalt thou what? Labor. Six days shalt thou labor. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, God said. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, thy cattle, the stranger that is within thy gates. Verse 11 said, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. And God blessed that 
that seventh day, that Sabbath day. Now, we no longer worship on the Sabbath day, but I still think we ought to work six days and rest one day. And friend, I'm here to tell you, God never has, God never will bless anybody. That's lazy, friend. In our nation today, we're rewarding people for their laziness, for their sorriness. They want to run all over the country and make babies. Then they want to sign up for some kind of government assistance to take care of that crowd. Whatever happened to you raising your own family? Yeah, man. Yes, sir. The Bible said over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 28. Let me read this to you. The Bible said, let him that stole steal no more. Let's stop and read that together. Let him that stole steal no more. Let him that stole there's no use to steal if you'll get out here and go to work and make an honest day's living. We can put some of our, help our dear law enforcement personnel out by going to work, getting a job. And if you'll go to work, get a job, work hard, you'll come home, be too lazy to prowl all night long. Amen. Amen and amen. You say, I didn't come for all this. You didn't know what you was coming for. Let him that stole steal no more. You don't have to steal. What's God want you to do? Rather, let him, what's the next word? Labor. What's the next word? Working with his what? His hands, the thing which is good. And then when he does that, he can give to those who have needs. I don't know about you, but listen, if you need help, you get help. Get all you can get. I pay it in so you can get help. But bless your heart. If you're able to work, just too sorry you won't lay around and watch Love Alive and Days of Our Lives on TV all day and the price is right, let's make a deal. Bless your heart, get out of bed, go get you a job somewhere and go to work and quit living off the hard-paying, tax-paying citizens of America. The America I grew up in rewarded hard work. I remember when I first went off to school, first grade, they didn't have kindergarten back then. They just barely had first grade when I started. But I went to first grade, and about the first week or so into that school year, they, they, the teacher got up and said, uh, said uh, uh, we have forms for y'all. If any of your parents would like to have free lunches for you, we have these forms. If you'll just carry them home, have your parents to fill them out and bring them back, then we'll give you free lunches all the days that you come to school here. Well, in, in, in essence, something like that. Well, I thought, well, my daddy'd probably like something like that. I mean, I thought that'd help him out. So I got them forms and carried them home. My daddy beat me within an inch of my life for bringing them forms home. He said I humiliated him and embarrassed him by getting those forms. And then he informed me that as long as he worked a job and was able in body, that he would pay for my lunch or else we'd get to the place that we'd pack my lunch because we weren't dependent on the government for a handout. Do y'all remember that, America? I mean, honestly, wore me out. I mean, the smoke alarm went off. Wore me out for just bringing those forms home. My dear, my wife over here, her, her daddy died three months before she was born. Her mother, her mother remarried and married a man that was bad to drink and beat her and wasn't long till she went through another divorce. But she had five children up to that point from those two marriages. And then she got married again a third time. So she had five children, works a, a job at a, at a mill in Mount Airy making just a little over minimum wage on piecework. Many of you remember what that was like. 
And yet my mother-in-law, through all the years that those kids went to school, she would never, and i got to give her a kudos for this, we didn't always get along too good. She's in heaven tonight, God rest her soul. But I tell you what, she never would take a free lunch for them kids. You know why? We were brought up in the America where you work to provide for your family. Hey, we didn't pray our, our government who art in Washington, give us this day our daily bread. We didn't look for handouts. And we don't look for handouts today. We go to work, friend. We work a job. We get paid. We buy our groceries. And then we look to heaven and say, God, you gave me this daily bread. Look, I'm here to tell you, we don't look to government for our help and our assistance. We look to God for our help and our assistance. Amen. I grew up in America where hard work was rewarded. Number three, <laughs> I grew up in America where family was important. Did you know something? In our Bible, there are three things that God ordained, or let me say it like this. God stamped his approval on three of them. The first thing, oh, let me, I won't take them in order, but one of the things that God stamped his approval on was the church. God stamped his approval. God ordained. God came up with the idea of this whole church thing. God put his approval upon the church. You read about that over the book of Romans and, and following, how that God ordained the church. Second thing God ordained, believe it or not, was human government. It was God's idea to come up with this whole notion of human government. When Noah in Genesis chapter 9 stepped off the ark into a freshly cleansed world after the floodwaters had receded, God handed Noah the sword of the magistrate. And he said, Noah, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. That's before the law, that capital punishment. That was before the law, friend. I think it, somebody said, well, that's in the law. We don't live by the law anymore. Hey, listen to me. 500 years before the law was ever given, God gave the, or, the, the, the commandment for capital punishment. And if we'd get back to doing what God said about some of this stuff, we'd stomp out some of this stupidity that's going on in our nation today. Messing with little children. Raping little baby girls. Messing their minds up for the rest of their life. Warping them. Uh, this crowd went around killing people with the back end of a hammer and stabbing people 75 times. Listen, friend, if they knew that at the end of the day there's an electric couch waiting for them on the prison somewhere and somebody's going to throw the juice to them, they'd think twice before they killed somebody. But we've got so smart, that, so much smarter than God that it's okay now. We will try to rehabilitate them. My high leg, from. That'd stop it. That'd stop some of it. They'd think twice before going in with a pickaxe and sawing somebody up if they knew that to end the road, hey, they wouldn't go get 20 years of cable TV and, and steak meals and air-conditioned jail cells. Hey, bless God, put them out here on the chain gang again. Dead men. You're welcome. I'm just saying, friend, you can't get wiser than God. What was we preaching about now? What was I had on all? The family. Yeah, the family. Family was important in the America that I grew up in. I mean, today we don't even know what a family is anymore. Do we? I mean, we've redefined marriage. We don't even know what marriage is anymore. I mean, man, the family has just gone to pot. I remember, and I'm not trying to make anybody in here uncomfortable right now, so don't get mad at me. I love you. 
and I'm praying for you. And if, you, if, you've, if you've gone through this, it's fine. But I'm just trying to tell you, in my day when I was growing up, divorce was a dirty word. It was spoken in the back of the bedroom. I remember when my Aunt Verdine and Uncle Pete, they had a daughter, and when she got divorced, that was the biggest scandal that ever rocked our family. I mean, Mom and Daddy wouldn't even say the word in front of us. They spelled it. I didn't know what they were saying. Die what? Die, div, do, do. I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't know till that woman come on the radio and started singing it. Don't look down. We ain't praying. Y'all heard her sing it too. Family was important back in those days. I mean, it was the mom and the daddy. And it was the grandmas and the grandpas. And buddy, you loved your family. We can't get along anymore as families no more. I mean, we hate everybody, can't speak to anybody. She's mad because she got the frying pan of ain't great-grandma on their foster Aunt Susie's side, and this and got a blanket, and this and got a, this and got a frying pan, and that and got a broke mirror. And I mean, we, can't, we hate each other now. I'm telling you something, buddy, I'm telling the America I grew up in, you fought for your family. I remember my daddy said, if your sister's ever get in a fight and you come home and you ain't beat up, you're going to get beat up by me because you took up for your family. I mean, family loyalty was important. Your family was important. I grew up in the America where family was important. Let me close. I grew up in the, in the America that, that we were united and not divided. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself should not stand. I've never seen a time in our life when our country is more divided than it is right now. And whether you like the president, you don't like him, that's your business. I don't care. But look, I can tolerate what you say. Can't you tolerate what I say? Hey, if you voted for Barack Obama, more power to you. I mean, man, whatever. But it just don't get mad at me if I'm wearing a MAGA hat. My soul. They about killed a boy over in Portland yesterday with concrete and beat the fire at him because he had a MAGA hat on. Who cares? If I want to wear a MAGA hat or wear a maggot hat, it, don't, it ain't none of your business. Am I right about all this or what? Yeah, we can, we'll tolerate you as long as you believe like we believe. But if you ever step the line and you start believing what you want to believe and you start standing up for that, then we don't like you. We're going to kill you. That's the America that we're living in now. We're divided. Well, the America that I grew up in was united. We began every morning in school with the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for everybody. Amen. We were united, and then I'm closed, and I got to close. We got to go. You can't take no more, and I don't want to say no more. But I grew up in America where prayer was important. I did. I can remember vividly our leaders back in those days. I remember I, I wasn't alive when John F. Kennedy got killed. I wasn't alive back then. But I, I remember... My daddy talking about how the nation went into mourning and went to prayer when the president got killed. I remember when prayer, it was important. Our forefathers, when they drew up the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, they prayed and asked God's blessings on Hey, what has happened to the America that I grew up in? I'm, it don't even resemble the same nation. 
But before you think, boy, the preacher should us hate our nation. No, I love our nation. I'm not against change. Change is good. We need change. I thank God. My daddy used to say when they'd get up in the morning that they'd have to go in there and the bucket that he drew up out of the well, they'd have to knock a hole in the top of the ice to get a different water to drink. I thank God we ain't knocking holes in ice no more. I'm glad we got heat in homes. <laughs> what about you? Thank God for our conditioning. I don't, I'm not against change. But ladies and gentlemen, let's don't forget where we come from. And let's don't forget who it is that's made us what we are. And let's, as a body of believers, let's seek God in these days. The only hope of America is for God's people to have revival. I'm telling you, other than that. You say, you think Trump's going to get in? I have no idea. But if he does or he don't, can I tell you something? We're going to need God just as bad as he does if he gets back in as we need him right now. That president's not going to change America. Change has got to come from the inside. And it can only come from the inside of God's people. Let's pray. Father.